Well, good morning. Good morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. You don't have a Bible. Uh, there should be one in one of the seats in front of you. Uh, I apologize for my uh, voice this morning. Uh, I have the, the privilege of having a cold, uh, which I didn't know existed anymore. I thought they were gone. I, you know, I, I thought the only two options were healthy or COVID. Like, that was your only two choices in life. But, uh, but nope, I'd have a cold. And uh, I, I have the, the, the great joy of having a cold in the middle of a respiratory pandemic. And uh, those of you who struggle with, uh, uh, like, sinuses and, and allergies know what I'm talking about. Like, you're not allowed to have a cough or congestion, you know, anymore outside. Uh, so uh, it doesn't matter how many times you test negative for COVID, like, there's still a group that, that will treat me like a walking, uh, like, uh, weapon of mass destruction, you know. So that's okay. <coughs> I, I did, yeah. Uh, that's all right. Uh, this morning we're being Acts chapter 2. Uh, and we're, uh, it's a long text, so I'm going to read the whole narrative of Acts chapter uh, 2, that, uh, uh, 1 through 40, uh, and then we'll get into the text this morning. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling on our own tongues the mighty works of God. And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Others were mocking, saying, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing at the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. That's, that's nine in the morning. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they will prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon to blood before the day the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, 
for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about our patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he, said, he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made, both, made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day at Pentecost. I thank you for the day that you, you poured out your spirit on your church. I thank you, Father, that, that we today, as followers of Jesus, we today, as your church, also have your spirit, that, that your spirit is doing a mighty work in us and through us, God, that, that your spirit is in our hearts changing us and conforming us and molding us into the image of Jesus, convicting us of our sins and teaching us where we need to go. And God, that your spirit is within us, empowering us to be the church that you've called us to be and to go preach the message that you've called us to preach. And God, I pray this morning that you would shape and mold us, that, that you would open our eyes to see what you have to teach us from this passage this morning. And God, that we would leave here as a church on fire for you, growing in our walk with you better because of our time and our word this morning. We love you, we praise you, and it's the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. I think a lot of times when we read the Bible, uh, there's a distance like between us and the narrative. So a lot of times we, we read scripture, we read the stories in scripture, but, but we read it from a distance because, oh, it's the, it's the Bible. You know, it's not, we don't, it, it is a different book than every other book. It's more powerful. It's God's revealed uh, plan. It's God's reveal, uh, re revelation of himself to mankind. So there is a difference between the Bible and every other book. But, but we read it with this huge, diff this huge distance. Like we read, we read stories like this in Acts chapter 2 and assume that the supernatural things are just kind of normal to the people in the, in the stories because it's the Bible. Like that's what, like, supernatural things happen, you know, like this. Uh, clearly, that's uh, what they were used to. So we, we read it with this weird distance. So this morning, uh, I don't want us to do that. Uh, this morning, I want us to get uh, into the text and, and see ourselves in the story. right? Not, not read it to figure out where we are, but just uh, read it as if we're watching it unfold for the very first time. So I want to kind of set the scene for you guys. Imagine 
Uh, we're in Jerusalem about 2,000 years ago. Right? It's, it's hot and dusty. It's, uh, it's the middle of the morning, so you can see people starting to kind of make their way to the shade, trying to get out of the sun. You can, you can smell and see animals everywhere. There's sheep and donkeys. Uh, you can see all the flies that are kind of making their way. You can, we can take a moment and praise God that we live in 21st century America, where there's air conditioning, and when a fly is in your home, it's a fly and not a swarm of flies. But let's go back. Uh, we're in Jerusalem. It's hot. There are flies uh, and there are people everywhere, right? Because right now is Pentecost. It's one of the, the, the great Jewish feasts. It's one of the, the festivals uh, it, outlined in the Old Testament. And so Jews from all over the world have made their way to Jerusalem to celebrate Pente- Pentecost there in Jerusalem where the temple is, uh, kind of the hub of where all the, the other Jews are. Um, and so there are people all over the place. Like if you find yourself in Jerusalem on this day, you know, it's like New York. Uh, it's like New York City. Like there are just people everywhere, right? People from all over the world. People speaking different languages. People with different cultures. But there, there are people everywhere here to celebrate this feast. And so you're you're making your way through the city, kind of making your way through the the crowded streets with people and animals and and trying to get out of the sun. The disciples here are meeting in in a really big room, probably similar to the size, maybe a little bit bigger, uh, in, a, in what was most likely uh, a little multi-roomed mansion here in the, the city of Jerusalem. And so these disciples, there are about 120 of them here listed in the story. And, and where we left off last week is the disciples uh, were gathered together praying and waiting for the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus had told them to wait for the Holy Spirit, so they were praying and waiting for the Holy Spirit. They, they now found their 12th apostle, someone to replace Judas, and so they have all the pieces in place. They're ready for the start of the church. They're ready for God's spirit to come and pour out upon the church, but now they're just kind of sitting and waiting and praying and, and, and just anxious for the Holy Spirit. Like I can picture the disciples sending out a group of five people like to go to the market to get some food and then them coming back like, hey, did he come yet? You know, like it's, there's, this, there's this eager anticipation, like the Holy Spirit is on his way. We're just not really sure when he's going to come, what it's going to look like. We just know he's He's coming. Right, so on this day, Pentecost, people outside with, uh, with, with animals outside for sacrifices, with, with everything going on, they're in the room and they're just waiting. They're waiting for the promised Holy Spirit. They're waiting for something amazing to happen, right? Like whatever, whatever that looks like, whatever it looks like for the Holy Spirit of God to pour out upon his church, they're, they're waiting and they're praying and they're hoping knowing that any day now is going to be the start of the church. That any day now, Jesus is going to do what he said he would do and pour out his spirit upon the church. So imagine in that place, in that room, gathered together, making small talks, saying prayers, just, just waiting for the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, a mighty wind fills the room. Like the sound of a mighty rushing wind just fills up the room with, with no warning, with no advanced, uh, like no sign saying, hey, this is what's going to happen. Like the, the, the wind sound just floods the room where these people are sitting. You can imagine in this room, if, if all of a sudden the sound of a mighty wind came whistling through the room, we would freak out. I, that'd be entirely unexpected. But that's what happens to them. They're sitting in this big room and a mighty rushing wind sound comes pouring into the room. I was 
I was in Houston uh, for Hurricane Ike, and I remember uh, we, we didn't evacuate, and so I remember uh, we're sitting in the house, and the, the, the hurricane comes, uh, and uh, it, it wasn't a lot of rain. It wasn't a, a, a flood problem where we were, but we could hear the wind outside the house as the storm was hitting the it was hitting our home. We could hear the, the whistling sound. I remember it hit us at night, so I was, I was trying to sleep. It's one in the morning. I was, I was trying to go to bed, but I, could, I was kept awake by the howling and the, the whistling sound of the wind outside just beating against the house. Well, imagine that sound filling up a room. Like with no warning, with, 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 with no sign that it's about to happen, just all of a sudden, the sound of a mighty wind fills the room. And then what happens next is that little tongues of fire, as, it's, uh, as they're described in verse 3. And divided tongues of fire appear and then rest on all of the disciples. So, so imagine you're one of the disciples. You're sitting there in this dusty room, and the wind comes howling through the room, and little flames of fire just appear and start resting on all of the believers. Like, that is strange. That's a weird moment, right? Like that, that we can, we can, I have nothing to compare it to. And there's no, there is no, there's no frame of reference. There's nothing in our world that we can compare this moment to, right? This little tongues of fire come and rest on top of every believer. If that happened here in this room right now, unexpectedly, that little, little candles burned right above our heads and came and rested upon every single one of us, we would have no idea what to do. Like that's, that is strange. It's a weird event for us, and it's a weird event for them. You know, like all of a sudden, the wind fills the room, and little tongues of fire fall down. And then what it says in verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in, uh, in other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. So, so these people are in a room, and the wind sounds fill the room. The little tongues of fire come and rest on every single one of them. And then they start breaking out in other languages. Like they just start speaking in languages that none of them have spoken before. Again, that's strange. Like that is a, that is a strange series of events. That is a, 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 a crazy moment. And so if you're a bystander, you're just walking by, you hear a wind sounds coming from the house, you go check it out, and you see flames of fire coming on people, and then you hear them start breaking out in, in different languages that they've never spoken. Like that's a weird event. You, you know something is happening, something you've never seen before, something you're probably never going to see again, but, but you have no idea what's going on. But, but we know, because Luke has told us, and uh, he's set it up in the book of Acts, that the Holy Spirit is coming, but they have no clue. I mean, look at how they respond. Look in verse 5. Uh, Jews have come from all over the world. This is that day of, of Pentecost. And they hear the sound in verse 6, like they... They hear the rushing, rushing wind. They hear the, the commotion from all these different languages being spoken. There's, uh, they hear that's going on. So the crowd starts gathering around these disciples. The, uh, a crowd of people start walking up and start gathering around this, this event. And what they realize is, th- is that they're all hearing the disciples speak in their language. And, and what Luke goes on to give us a description of who's there. The Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia. And we, we don't... Uh, if you don't know old uh, geography uh, during the time of the Roman Empire, uh, then this won't mean anything to you. But what, what Luke is doing when he gives us all of these different cultures
cultures, when he gives us all of these different people groups, what he's doing is he's painting a picture, a broad brush stroke of the people who are there uh, that make up this crowd. He starts all the way at one end with the Parthians. There's the, the Parthian Empire. These are people that are not part of the Roman Empire. These are, in fact, one of the, the main arch uh, uh, enemies of the Roman Empire. But uh, these are residents of the, the Parthian Empire in the east. And he starts making brush strokes, people, the Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites, and making brush strokes from east to west. Just everybody in kind of the sphere of influence in their world have made their way to Jerusalem. And so this crowd is made up of literally like the whole world. It's made up of, of tr every tribe and tongue and nation that they can, that they can think of in their immediate sphere of influence. This, this crowd is made up of Jews from, from all over the known world for them, like from Parthia all the way, and it ends in Rome, from Parthia, the Parthian Empire all the way to the center of the Roman Empire. There, there's this broad brushstroke of Jews who have all made their way to Jerusalem. And so they're all walking, they're brushing arms against each other for many of them. Uh, like if you're Parthian or Mede, you may not have, have heard uh, anybody speaking in Parthian uh, at, at any time in your time in Jerusalem. And then you're walking by, and you hear this crazy sound, you see this crazy fire, and you see and you hear that these disciples of Jesus are talking in your language. Like they're speaking in Parthian, they're speaking in Latin, they're speaking in Greek, they're speaking in whatever your native language is. They, they are speaking in your language, they're speaking to you, and you're, you're seeing all of this. Like the, the question that the, that the crowd gives is the question that, that we're supposed to be asking at this point. What does it mean? What's going on? Like, again, we know it's the Holy Spirit, but they just see wind and fire and people talking in a bunch of languages. And these are not like, like scholars. You know, this isn't like a college campus. We, we wouldn't expect the Galileans to, uh, to be highly educated, multilingual people. But here they are speaking in languages from all over the known world so that every person in the crowd can hear that the, the, the good news, the, uh, the testimony of what Jesus has done. So they are freaking out about the events. They're, they're wondering what on earth is going on. What does it mean? And the whole rest of the chapter from Peter's uh, glorious speech, the whole rest of the chapter is trying to answer the question, what is going on? Like, what does this mean for us? And we can see ourselves in the story. We can see ourselves witnessing the events, witnessing this strange occurrence, witnessing these things that we've never seen before, and that's what would pop into our head. What, what does it mean? You have a small group there in the crowd, and they, they offer a suggestion of what it means. There's a, there's a group there that says, I know what it means. It means they're drunk. Like, I know what this crazy event means. Like, these people are just wasted. <laughs> and... and uh, which I think is a, it's one of my favorite, like, funniest moments in this whole story. Because, you know, everybody knows that when, when people start to drink a little too much, they become multilingual. Like, that's just a normal <laughs> series of events. Uh, like, it's, just, uh, it's my favorite. Ex like, I don't know. It's just that that was their, that was their gut reaction, their initial explanation. Of, I just, uh, they're drunk, you know, and walking, walking on by. But they're, they're trying to answer, what does this mean? And there's a group there that says, I, that's what it means. It means they've had a little too much to drink. And Peter gets up, and he starts his defense. 
Like Peter gets up and he starts to answer the question, what does this mean? And he initially starts out by saying, they're not drunk, it's nine in the morning. Uh, and, uh, and so he dismisses that explanation for what's going on. And he launches into this sermon that, that the whole thing is designed to answer, what does this moment mean? Like the wind coming, the fire showing up, the other tongues, like what does this mean for us? So what Peter says beginning in uh, verse 16, is this. This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. So what, what Peter is doing is he says, this moment was prophesied beforehand. Like this, this moment with the wind coming, the fire showing up in the other tongues, like this is a moment that has been prophesied about uh, long before it happened. So if we're going to understand what it means, we have to understand that this was something that was prophesied about ahead of time. And so he points to the exact prophecy of this event, and he says in verse 17, this is what Joel says, In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. So, so what Peter says is going on, Peter's response, his answer to what it means, he says this is the moment, this is the day where God is pouring out his spirit. And this, what, this strange wind and the fire and the tongues, this is the moment where the Holy Spirit of God is being poured out upon his people. And you can see this kind of logical progression with how he's using this prophecy from Joel, where it's the, the Holy Spirit of God is coming upon his people. And if that's true, then what, it's, what we see in the passage, when does this happen? In the last days. The Holy Spirit of God, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, the coming of the Holy Spirit was directly tied to the kind of the end times, this, this end of days when, when at the end of all things, God would pour out his spirit on his people, and that's how they would live forever. And so this, the Spirit of God was tied to this permanent, uh, eternal destination, like the end of, of time. And so, so what, if this is the moment when the Spirit of God is being poured out upon his people, then what Peter is saying is this is the last days. This is the end of time. Like this is the last event before there's judgment. This, this is it. So the Spirit is being poured out, which means this is the last days. And if this is the last days, that means the judgment of God is coming. We see that in verse uh, 19. <clears throat> I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. So when the, the understanding that these are the last days means that the judgment of God is coming. That, that at any moment, God's judgment will be poured out on the world. That, that the, the moment when God will correct everything that's wrong in the world is, is any day now. So because this is the moment that the Holy Spirit is coming, that means that these, these are the last days, which means the judgment of God is coming, which leads to the most important verse in this prophecy, verse 21. It says, they shall, It shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So this, this logic that Peter is going through with this prophecy is that this is the moment of the Spirit's coming, which means that these are the end times, 
which means the judgment of God is coming, which means you need to call on the name of the Lord to be saved. Now, if you're one of the Jews in the audience, and we can even put ourselves here, if you're one of the, if you're one of the people hearing this prophecy and hearing that, that logic, hearing that series of events, you're probably thinking you're okay. Right? Because when we hear prophecies about the end times, when I tell you that there will be a day when Jesus comes back and the judgment of God will be poured out on the world, most of us see ourselves in the camp of people that are on God's side. Like Most of us see ourselves in the camp of people that are doing okay, that are, that are going to celebrate that day. Most of us see ourselves in the camp of people that, are, that, are, that God has favor with, and so we're not going to be under the judgment of God. That's what most of us will see ourselves in when Peter says this prophecy, and that's where most of the Jews were. Luke says these were devout men. These were men who who followed God. These are men who who upheld the law. These are men that wanted to follow God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so these are devout men, and so when they hear a prophecy about the coming day of the Lord and this day of judgment, they're listening to it the same way we would, that, well, fine, like I'm on the right side. Who cares if the judgment of God is coming? I'm not going to be under that. So what Peter does next is he outlines this idea that that no, the Jews are actually not okay. And if we can see ourselves in the story listening to Peter, we would have some of the same reasonings that the Jews would have of why they thought they were okay. Maybe, maybe we've grown up in church. We've spent our whole lives in church. We know the Bible. We try to live a good life. We've tried to do good things. We give our money to the church. We give our money to charities. We, we do good things in life. So when we hear stories, when we hear prophecies about Jesus coming back and the judgment of God coming, we see ourselves in the story and we say, we're doing pretty good. Like I'm not going to be under the judgment of God because I'm a good religious person. Like God's not going to punish me for that. The Jews are saying the same thing. I'm not going to be under the judgment of God because I try to follow God, because I follow the law, because I try to do what, what's right. In fact, like I traveled hundreds of miles to participate in this festival here in Jerusalem. Like the Jews are hearing this story and saying, I think I'm on the right side of this because of how I live, because of how I act. And a lot of times, you and I can put ourselves in this story, and that's how we respond in, like we respond in the same way. There are people in churches all across America and people outside of churches all across America who would hear stories and prophecies about the judgment of God coming and say, you know what, I think I'm fine because I'm a good person, because I've grown up in church, because I know the Bible verses, because I, I have a perfect attendance record when at any time the church doors are open. Like, I think I'm okay. I've served as a, as a deacon in my church. I, I've done this or that. We we see ourselves and we say, I, the judgment of God is coming, that's fine, I'm not going to be under it, because I'm a good person. What Peter explains is that it doesn't matter what kind of person you are. And it doesn't matter how religious you are, it doesn't matter how well you follow the law, it doesn't matter whether you do or don't participate in these religious rituals, what matters is how you think about Jesus Christ. What matters is your relationship, your, your approach to Jesus, because that's what matters. That's what Peter gets into beginning in verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man that God attested to you. So a man that God proved was legitimate. A man that God proved was real. That what he said was right and righteous uh, by all of the miracles that he performed. Like that Jesus uh, was delivered up according to the definite plan. Verse 23. 
and was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men. So he's, he's t- putting the Jews in this category where he's saying, you, you killed Jesus by the hands of these Romans. You're, you're responsible for turning on Jesus, for denying that he's the Christ, for denying that he's king. You're responsible for turning him over to the Romans to crucify him and kill him. And so we see exactly where the, the, this Jewish audience, this Jewish uh, group fits in their relationship to Jesus. Like, they're responsible for rejecting him as the Messiah and getting him over to be murdered. And you and I don't fare much better on our own. Like, we may not have killed Jesus. We may not have been the ones who delivered him up to the Romans to be uh, murdered. But, but you and I, in our relationship to Jesus, we reject him as the Messiah. Like, we reject him as Lord and King. Like, we, we reject, we, we refuse to worship him. On our, in our lives. So when we, when we face the music, when we really see what's going on, we know that we don't have the relationship with Jesus that we're supposed to, that, that, that just on a general level across the world, we don't have the relationship with Jesus that we're supposed to. We don't approach Jesus in the way that we're supposed to. The Jews here handed him over to be killed. You and I reject him as Messiah and Lord. We're all guilty of the same thing, and that's having the wrong approach to Jesus, having the wrong relationship for Jesus, having, not giving Jesus what he's owed, what he deserves. They handed Jesus over to be crucified, but verse 24, it says, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And he gives this quote from David. And this quote shows David prophesying that, that there would be one who would not, who would not see decay, that there would be one who would not be left to, to rot, there would be one who would not be, whose soul would not be abandoned to the dwelling place of the dead. And if you read the psalm, you, you think it's talking about David. Like if you read the psalm uh, when, uh, that David writes this in, if you read Psalm 16 where this is found, it sounds an awful lot like David's talking about himself. I praise God, I, th- I love God. And uh, he's not going to allow me to see decay. He's not going to allow, uh, abandon my soul to Hades. Praise God. Uh, he gives me joy in life. And it, it sounds like David's talking about himself. But, but Peter makes a point. It's like it can't be talking about David because David is very dead. Like if, if, you, look at, uh, if you look at King David, he's not around anymore. Like he, he is definitely deceased and his body is there. In Jerusalem, like they have the body. They know that David did decay. David did rot. His soul was abandoned to the dwelling place of the dead. Like, like David is dead. So it can't be talking about David. But this, this prophecy where it says in verse 25, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. That prophecy clearly isn't about David. But what David knows is what we talked about a couple months ago. David knows that he's going to have somebody from his line sitting on the throne of God forever. That there will be a Christ, there will be a Messiah 
who will come from his lineage, who will sit on the throne and rule God's people for all of eternity. And so when David is speaking about the one who will not be, uh, who will not be rotting in the grave, when he's speaking about the one whose soul will not be abandoned to Hades, he's not talking about himself. He's talking about that coming future Messiah. He's talking about that one from his line who will be the Christ, the Savior of the world. And he's looking forward to that guy. He's looking forward to, to that day that there will be one who is raised from the dead and it's going to be the Messiah. He's going to be the Christ. And so this is what Peter says in verse 30. Being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did this flesh see corruption. This Jesus, God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. So the argument Peter makes is, 1,000 years before this event, David says that the Christ is going to be resurrected. Like 1,000 years before this event, David says that the Messiah is going to rise from the dead. And Peter says, hey, Jesus rose from the dead. Like, put the two together. Like, Jesus said he was the Messiah. Jesus said he was the Christ. And then he rose from the dead. His resurrection proves that he was the Messiah. That he really was the Christ that he said he was. But he goes on. He says in verse 33, Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you, are, you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So he, he's taking him back a moment to this, this prophecy that Jesus gave while he was alive. He says, I'm going to go to the Father and then I'm going to pour out my spirit on you. I'm going to go to the Father and I'm going to pour out my spirit on mankind. This is prophecy that he gave uh, well ahead of time. And so Peter points to this prophecy, and then he, he points to the prophecy that David gave a thousand years before in verse 34. The Lord said to my Lord, excuse me, verse 30, yeah, 34. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So this prophecy a thousand years before, King David says that the Lord, the God, Yahweh, the, the, the God the Father, that Lord said to another Lord, sit at my right hand. And the Jews reading this just kind of put David in this passage and, and really don't explain it at all, really don't know what it means. But what, what this prophecy shows and what David is pointing, or what what uh, Peter is pointing out here is that this shows that Jesus Christ is the Lord, that he is God, that he is, is the same level, the same authority as God the Father, that Jesus, God, uh, Jesus really is the Son of God like he said he was because the Lord, Yahweh, said to the Lord, Jesus, sit in my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. And we see that play out in the prophecy that Jesus gave when he says, I'm going to go to the right hand of the Father and pour out the Holy Spirit. Like the right hand of the Father means he is at a position of authority, that he really is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, that he really has ascended and he really is the Son of God, that he's worthy of worship and praise. And so it's, it's a, an application of this prophecy that he really is the Lord. And so to, for Jesus to say, I'm going to go to the Father, I'm going to sit at his right hand, and I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, is for him to say, I'm the Son of God who's worthy of all worship 
and praise. I am the Lord. And so what Peter is saying is, hey, the Holy Spirit is here. Just like Jesus said it was. The Holy Spirit has been poured out just like Jesus said it would. And so that means this is a, a fulfillment of the prophecy that David said a thousand years before. And it's a fulfillment of what Jesus said he would do. That Jesus really has been, been resurrected and ascended and is now seated at the right hand of God. That he really is Lord. That he really is worship of all praise and glory and honor. That's why Peter is able to say in verse 36, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So the resurrection of Jesus proves that he was the Christ because that's what was prophesied ahead of time by David. And the ascension of Jesus and him sitting at the right hand of God and pouring out the Holy Spirit is proof and evidence that he really is Lord, that he's really worthy of all worship and honor and praise. And so the resurrection and this moment, this, this crazy moment with the wind and the fire and the tongues, it's all proof and evidence that Jesus is Lord. And so what it means is that we need to worship him. What it means is that we need to have the right relationship with Jesus, the right approach to Jesus, that he's not just some good guy, that he's not just some man who is caught up in the, the wheels of history, that he's not just some, uh, some prophet, he's not just some religious teacher, but he is the Messiah, he is the Savior of the world, and he is Lord, he is the King of kings. He's worthy of all worship and honor and praise. This moment of the coming of the Holy Spirit is not something we're supposed to dissect as, as, well, are we going to have tongues of fire? Are we going to have this, these foreign languages? All of it is to prove and to show evidence that Jesus is Lord. So the crowd hears this. Remember where Peter started this sermon uh, was, was reminding them of where they stand with Jesus. Hey, you killed him. He, he says it again in the conclusion. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, this Jesus whom you crucified. Like he reminds them again, this is where you stand in relation to Jesus. You're a crowd that crucified him. So they say, when they hear this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Jesus clearly is the Christ. Jesus clearly is Lord. And we clearly are under the judgment of God. We're not on the right side of this. And I, I know we're not on the right side because you have the Holy Spirit and we don't. But the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon you, the disciples of Jesus, and not on us. And we, we, are, we have thought wrongly about Jesus. We have rejected him as Messiah. We have rejected him as Lord. What do we do? How do we fix this? How do we get on your side? And Peter takes them back to verse 21, that, back to that, that beautiful prophecy, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He says in verse 38, they would have read, Lord, there is Yahweh, God the Father. But what, what he says here in verse 38, Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you turn from your sin, you repent of the way that you've thought about Jesus, the way that you've rejected him as Lord, as the way that you have rejected him as the authority on your life, if you repent 
and are baptized in the name of Jesus, if you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. All of your sins will be forgiven. All of your transgressions, the wrong things you've done, will be washed away. And you will receive the Holy Spirit. Again, that receiving of the Holy Spirit is that picture of these are the last days and God will pour out his spirit on his people. So if you receive the Holy Spirit, that is a sign and a seal that you are part of his people. He's saying if you repent and turn to Jesus, if you repent and believe in Jesus Christ, if you repent and call on the name of the Lord Jesus, then you have the forgiveness of sins and you will become part of God's people and he will pour out his spirit upon you. And this is a promise we can see in verse... uh, Verse, 30, uh, verse 39, the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from the crooked generation. So this promise of salvation in Jesus is open to you. And this promise of salvation in Jesus is open to the people in this crowd, the people who are outside of this crowd. It's open to the Jews, and we, not, we know now it's open to the Gentiles. It's open to people who live in Jerusalem, and it's open to people who live in Roanoke, Texas. Like It is, it is open to people all over, wherever God will call people to himself. It is a, an opportunity. It is open for you to repent and to believe in Jesus and have your sins washed away and to receive the Holy Spirit. And we see earlier in the passage that the pouring out of the Holy Spirit is not, uh, is not based on age. It's not based on uh, marital status. It's not based on gender. It's not based on social status. Like, there's nothing that keeps you from being part of the people of God. There's not one thing that you've ever done. There's not one thing that you can call yourself and claim for yourself that will keep you from being part of the people of God. What matters is not what you've done. What matters is not who you are. What matters is not all the boxes you check. What matters is your relationship with Jesus. Have you called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved? Because when you repent and you turn to Jesus and you start worshiping him as Lord, when you start worshiping him as God, you will be saved. And you'll have the Holy Spirit poured out for you. The, 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 again, we can see ourselves in listening to this and hearing this because the promise is made to us just as much as it was to them. And, and, and the text is calling out to us. It is crying out to us. Peter, uh, Luke records this whole event and the whole sermon, this lengthy passage, to cry out to us and say, repent and believe in Jesus while you can. Like, repent and put your faith in Jesus while it's still an option. And that, that last little phrase, while you can, sounds scary. It sounds like a, a fire and brimstone, this, this, this terrible like fear tactics. But, but as Peter points out, these are the last days. There, there's nothing left on the calendar for God's work in history other than coming back. And so the next thing on the calendar is the judgment of God. You don't have the, the luxury of, of hoping and waiting for the Messiah to come to fix things because the next time the Messiah comes, it will be in judgment. But, but the, the message is a hopeful one, a, a one of life and joy and peace because while it's still called today, you have the opportunity to believe in Jesus Christ, to turn from your sins, to become part of the people of God. And so this text is crying out to us, 
saying repent and believe in Jesus while we can this morning. There may be some of you here today who can hear the, the sermon that Peter is giving. You can, you can say to yourself, I, I used to think that I, I was outside of the judgment of God. I thought I was a good person. I may, have, I may have checked a lot of boxes. I may have done a lot of good things. I may have even called myself a Christian for most of my life. But I know that I've never worshipped Jesus as Lord. That I've never worshipped Jesus as the King of kings and the Lord of my life. And if that's you this morning, then the text is calling out to you, begging you, repent and believe in Jesus. So this morning you have an opportunity to do just that. And if you're sitting in the audience, you've, you've heard the sermon from Peter, you've, you've witnessed what's going on, and you, you, you can say, I have a right relationship with Jesus. I've honestly placed my faith in him. I've honestly called out to him and have worshipped him. Then you can see from the text that we have all received the Holy Spirit. And if you've placed your faith in Jesus, you've received the Holy Spirit. And so we need to be a church that lives as if we've been filled with the Spirit. And we need to be a church that lives like we are followers of Jesus Christ as Lord who have received his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will do a few things in our lives. He'll, he'll convict us of sin and begin to shape and mold us into the image of Jesus. He'll, he'll empower us to be the church that he has called us to be. And, and one of the things most importantly from this text that he'll do is he, he mobilizes us to go reach the world with this message of the gospel. To go proclaim the message that Peter proclaimed. To go teach and proclaim the glorious good news that there is salvation found in Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the Messiah and that he is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And that he is coming back. The judgment is on its way, but there is life in Jesus' name. This morning we're going to sing. And if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, if you... If you have never worshipped him as Lord, if you've never bowed down and praised him, you've never given up your own idols, you've never given up your, your own autonomy, you've never given up your own desires and your wills of your life, but you've never given those over and repented of those and worshipped Jesus as Lord, and this morning you have an opportunity to do just that. As we sing, I'm going to be standing right here. I invite you to come talk to me about what it means to worship Jesus as Lord and King. I invite you to come talk to me about what it means to receive life, to receive eternal life and salvation from Jesus, to receive the, the Holy Spirit poured out upon you so that you can be called part of the kingdom of God, part of the people of God. I invite you this morning, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, that as we sing, come talk to me about what that means. If you're here and you have placed your faith in Jesus, I invite you to sing with all the joy that you can muster that you are part of the people of God, that you have been redeemed and resurrected by Jesus, and you've received the Holy Spirit, and you are part of his kingdom. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray for all those here who do not know you, all those here who have, who have never worshipped you as king, all those here who who have never placed their faith in you, God, I pray that you would wake us up and you would help us realize that it doesn't matter who we are, it doesn't matter all the boxes we've checked, it doesn't matter how good we've been, it doesn't matter if we've served churches in different capacities, it doesn't matter if we've gone to church our whole life, it doesn't matter if we have given money to the church, none of those things matter. What matters is our relationship to Jesus. What matters is if we worship Jesus as Lord, as, as the King of kings, as the one who has all authority in our lives. So God, I pray 
for those here who've, who've never done that. I pray that this morning would be the morning that they find life. This morning would be the morning that, that they are saved from their sin and can escape the judgment of God. I pray, God, that your coming judgment will be very real to us and it would mobilize us in the, the power of the Holy Spirit to go out through these doors and to reach lost people with the gospel. And to proclaim this message on, on every rooftop that there is life that is found in Jesus. If we just repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be saved. In the name of Jesus that we pray.